Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Profitability Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Pinar. We all agree that the only constant is change. Sometimes that change happens to us and other times we make that change happen. Either way, I'm curious about how individuals make changes, go through those transitions and what sometimes stays the same regardless. So every week on this podcast, I have a conversation with a fascinating guest, whether they're an entrepreneur, an artist, musician, author, poet, or artisan, to learn more about how they have a life that is uniquely profitable. Today I talk with Tim and Dan, a designer who has worked with some of the best known tech companies in the world, sometimes even as the first ever designer. Those companies include Instagram, Facebook, and Dropbox. And at least one of those gigs happened purely because Tim had sent a direct message on Twitter to the CEO. I first worked with Tim in my WeThemes days more than 10 years ago. And from the outside, I had formed kind of my own opinion about the journey I expected he had since. Moving from startup to startup, moving from his home in Belgium to the United States and back again to Belgium a couple of years after he had kids. What struck me most was how Tim made some of those career changes, purely to learn the skills he didn't have, and how he felt he needed to evolve from being an adequate designer to a much better team player. We also spoke about unfair moments of opportunity that has helped his career, how he is now actively leaving space for others, and the example he tries to set for his kids. This conversation was very different to what I had expected. And many of my prepared questions never came up because we ultimately got to speak about things that were much, much more important. Let's jump into this conversation with Tim Van Dam. Hey Tim, thanks uh, for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. I mean, this recording this with you is almost me also just catching up on everything you've done in the last, I want to say nine years since we last met in person, at least when we, we probably spoke. it might be a Europe. decade. Yeah, close to a decade, yeah. at least. Decades, so it sounds so sophisticated. So um, <laughs> for everyone listening, I mean, I, I guess the way I would like to start here, Tom, is like, you walk into a party today, you meet someone new, how do you actually introduce yourself? What does that introduction look like? Hi, my name is Tim. I'm a designer. If it's like people in, in tech, otherwise I'll, I'll tell them, hi, my name is Tim and I design apps you use on your phone, I think is, is the best way to put it. Like I want to tell them like I'm a digital designer focused on products on desktop and mobile and web, but then, you know, they kind of get blurry eyed and, and lose focus. Does that limit you in any way? I don't think so. Like, I think I'm at a stage in life where I don't like to brag about what I do or talk too much about what I do. I'd love to get to know other people. And at some point, maybe the conversation will come back to me. But I like to blend into the background as much as possible. My, my entire career is just like paved with what I think is unfair moments of opportunities for me. Like I've had enough opportunities thrown at me. I don't want to make it about me. So I'm curious, do you have an example of what you think is an unfair opportunity that got thrown at you? Everything. Early, early on, I was a freelancer and I got most projects by reaching out to people or by doing you know, unsolicited redesigns and then people buying it. That gave me you know, this fame where 
my the experience I had didn't live up to the amount of fame I got there. So I could reach out to pretty much everyone in the industry over DM or over email and know that I would get a response. When Guala was looking for a designer, I sent them one email. I sent the CEO one email. After Guala for, uh, for Instagram, I sent one DM to the CEO who happened to be following me because I was, you know, quote unquote famous. So I was part of the first batch of Instagram users. They heavily focused on product designers and digital designers for their first batch of users because Kevin, the CEO, thought that they were like the tastemakers and they were type of people to get started with. So it's like it's a cascading effect that all, all goes back to being highly overrated. And to this day, like it still keeps opening doors for me. And like, I feel bad about it. Do you think you're overrated? I mean, like, is, is that your assessment? I used to be highly overrated. Um, and it bothered me so much that I started working harder and harder and harder to be what I thought was at the very least like an adequate designer, like a good team player. I used to be horrible at working with, with a team, like I was full of ego. And that's why like, I made certain career decisions like companies I consciously joined to pick up the skills I thought I was lacking. And now like I feel like I'm a capable designer. I've gotten so much in the past. Like I don't need more of that. I'm, I'm more than willing to work for it now, if that makes sense. So I feel comfortable, like I'm like a good plumber, like a really good plumber. Like I'm not gonna make you a statue with water, but I'll make sure you know, that the plumbing is perfect and you're not going to have any issues with it for for a decade. <laughs> I do have plumbing problems at my home that nobody's been able to fix. So like I might actually take you up on that So at some time if you, if you ever want to visit Cape Town. What I'm hearing you kind of say partly there or question here is you speak about being a capable designer. Do you think like somewhere in the past, right, you were always, say, a talented creator using another term? but that you needed to do work to become a capable designer, especially in the realm of when you start considering others and collaboration and teamwork. Is, am I hearing correct there? Yeah, I think you can compare it to like in the 90s, you had a lot of one hit wonders when it came to music. Great single was playing everywhere, but you know, a decade later you re-listen it and you're like, that was, that was not a great song. It was kind of like a, it happened once they couldn't, replicate the success kind of that thing so i think i had a lot of one hit wonders that all came down to being at the right place at the right time and that's what bothered me i wanted to show more consistency in the work that i do and and the colleague that i am can you take me back was there like a specific moment in which you had that first aha which was like shit the things i'm doing here i can't continue repeating you know, this, it might be more in that realm of like this one it one. Was it like a specific moment where that you first realized that? I think it was when I was at Instagram, the team was extremely small when I joined. And like up till that point, like I started as a freelance designer by myself. Then I joined Gowala where I was the only designer responsible for iOS. I joined Instagram, only designer on iOS. So it was always me, me, me. But at Instagram, once the team started growing and, and more designers got hired, I realized like, shit, I, I don't know how to collaborate. 
and it threw me in, into this black, not, not black hole. It bothered me. I couldn't give the people around me what they deserved or what they expected from me. So that's the reason I, I, I went to I went to Dropbox. I'm not a huge fan of working for larger companies, but they do have a better framework to learn as you work. If you work at a small company, you wear a lot of hats and like every day you just use all of the knowledge that you've that you have in you. And there's not a lot of time left at the end of the day to kind of replenish that that pool of, of knowledge or expand it. It's fun, but you don't learn a lot. When I joined Dropbox, I was surrounded by, by this amazing team of people that I looked up to. And like turns out they're all nice people, very welcoming. And they mentored me. They mentored me to be a good team player and to really, you know, get the best work done as a team. They gave me the opportunity to start mentoring myself as well. And I completely fell in love with that. The design industry is, is based on people helping out people. I didn't go to school for any of this. I read blogs and books written by people. Like the blogs were free. I bet they didn't make a whole lot of money on the books uh, either. But it is a community where you give as much as you get or more. It sounds like there's some underlying or some bigger purpose there, right? That it wasn't just about your design work, but there are other things, community, for example, that is also important to you. Like, how do you think about that? How do you speak about those other things that are important to you or are they not important at all? Like, is it not a consideration? Well, obviously, you know, at, at the end of the month, I like to make enough money to feed my family and to have a good life. Personally, I like to work on things that are challenging, like problems that are not easy to solve. But besides that, it's you get more into the, you know, what makes you human and what makes you a good human bit where I believe that if like if you figure out what what enough is for you, what you need in life after that, like it's time to basically start sharing and help other people kind of breach into this industry. It's not hard to get in. It's hard to know how to succeed here and how to make all the connections and how to land the jobs that you want to land. Like, helping people out can be as easy as responding to DMs, replying to an email. I know plenty of other designers who don't do that. Like, no, their public persona is all about, it. I'm here to help, reach out, all of that. And then, you know, you email them and just, there's nothing. And then people reach out to me and then I hear all the stories about those other people that <laughs> that made all the promises and never f fulfilled them. But uh, it's a small effort which has a massive impact on the lives of others. One email can change a person's entire career. How happy they are at their jobs, how much money they make with their jobs. And that kind of continues into like it helps them start a family, feed that family, all of that, just by making time to reply to one email. I'm not saying I'm able to reply to all emails, but I try. I work crazy hours and I try. Well, one thing that immediately kind of listening to you there that springs to mind is uh, an upcoming guest on the podcast, Sahil Lavingia from Gumroad. What I never realized was that Sahil and I, before I started WooThemes, we 
were working together with someone else and both of us were creating themes for this other person that, that was selling it on, right? It was kind of the precursor for Wii themes. And I had no idea that this was the same Sahil that eventually founded Gumroad. And we, he only told me years later because he was also extremely young at the time, right? I mean, I was, I was early 20s. He was 13 or 14 at the time, right? <laughs> but again, like he, he also says like something similar, like a small gesture of being able to talk to me at that stage that had an impact on his career, right? So what you're describing here really resonates. And I know from back those days, I know from when you and I first connected, and we did a project two together, both for personal stuff and for theme stuff. Like it was easy. Like I can at least attest to the fact that yes, you were available. Yes, you did reply to emails. Do you think that that's changed over time? Not for you, right? I mean, I, I hear kind of from you that helping others, even with a simple email reply, is something you still do. But do you think it's it's become harder for whether it's youngsters or newbies in our industry to actually get the attention from people that have been there, done that, people that could be helpful? For some reason, the, the bar does feel higher. A lot of times, like a response I get is like, oh, wow, I didn't realize you would actually respond or you would actually help me out. The expectations aren't there. And like, I try to make it super clear, but I'm not sure why that is. I think, oh God, you know, back Twitter 10 years ago, it was more friends chatting. It was very open. And if someone new wanted to join a conversation, be my guest. Like it was fun. Join, come along. Today, Twitter feels it's it's a lot. Like it has shifted a, a whole lot in, in extreme ways. Most of it for good. When I'm talking about, you know, political issues and making sure that things that, you know, in the past might have gone unnoticed are now noticed and acted upon. And on the other hand, like when you look more uh, like on the design community side, it's 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 a lot more about self-promotion. Like this thing I worked, launched, go try it. Well, in the past, it would be like, hey, I'm working on this thing. It kind of looks like ass right now. Give me some feedback or whatever. Like, hey, it's fun. We're all doing fun things. The the industry, like the work that we do has matured where it used to be a bunch of hobbyists doing it like, as, because it was their passion. And now we, you know, it's become a job. And that's that's not bad. That's what we've always wanted. We've always wanted for design, for technology, to be taken seriously. And now we're there, but other things have also shifted. So I, all of that to say, I think that makes it harder to feel like you can reach out to someone like, oh, if they're only announcing product launches or they only use Twitter to complain about bad design or whatever, like it makes more known figures in the industry less approachable, I think. I haven't been tweeting a lot lately because of um, all the things that are happening in the world. Like I want to give space to the things that need to be heard right now. But before that, like I try to keep it lightweight. Like here's the crappy music that is currently, you know, fueling me through the night. Here's a photo I took of my kid. Here's something I think is cool. I want to keep it positive and post content out there that I would want to see myself too instead of the the professional stuff or the the negative uh stuff but that's my theory it's more like a tinfoil hat theory but i don't think you're far off by the way i think that 
something that I struggle with is when I think about how I present myself online, it feels today that I need to, the image or the representation needs to be more polished, right? I mean, I, I was any rock star in the past, right? Not super professional. I was, you know, quick to have a strong opinion about something, you know, quick to jump into conversations that I probably didn't need to jump into, all of those kind of things. Whereas today, I am more mellow as well. Like it's more important for me to not necessarily also say and do the things that I expect my audience wants from me. Like for me, it's important to just be myself. Like either that kind of resonates with someone or it doesn't resonate. And and not necessarily in a polarizing way. I'm not trying to say, trying to be exclusive and across any political or religious or whatever kind of dogmatic kind of lines here. But if you don't like me for who I am, then I'm actually okay with that. Right. It just occurred to me that both of us were extremely privileged, you know, with everything that we've gone through. And we have the luxury of, you know, taking that standpoint because, you know, early on Twitter, it was friends, it was people, you know, doing the work, sharing things. Today, when you're interviewing somewhere, they'll, they'll check your Twitter to see what kind of person you are. It's part of who you are and it affects the jobs that you get or the jobs that you don't get. And I think that just adds to the pressure. Like, will they look at my Twitter and be like, this guy listens to horrible 90s new metal all the time. How is that going to you know, translate to working in a team? I mean, it shouldn't matter, but it's always in the back of your mind. Yeah. If you were to apply to a new job tomorrow and you were still tweeting poopin, then that might not look the best, right? <laughs> it's a different time. And... I'm glad we had it, but I'm also glad that we moved on from there in a way. So I want to take you uh, two, three, four minutes back where you you were talking about when you have enough, like when you have that point, like when you define that point of content. And once you are able to do that, then focus shifts to actually being able to share, right? So I'm wondering, like, how do you define that enough for you? Like, what are the parameters involved in that or the different components? It's not that I'm giving away my money. It's more, I get a lot of opportunities sent my way, job opportunities, uh, go talk at a conference, do an interview for a podcast. And more and more, I'm just telling them like, you know, thank you so much for the offer, but you know, here are a bunch of other people that might be more interesting. They just, you know, they might not have been on your radar yet. I'm doing this with you right now because you know, you're, I consider you a friend, even though we haven't seen each other in 10 years. So I think it, like it's, it's important for that. I knew that we were going to be able to talk about the history. And I think because we know each other, uh, we're able to go a bit deeper uh, on some, some issues. But for most of the things, I'm just like, you know, leave space for others. I don't need it. I'm happy with, you know, the world that I created for myself. Roll out the red carpet for other people who are extremely talented. It's just, you know, you might've never heard from them. Yeah, I really like the words you used there, by the way. It really resonates that that idea of leaving space for others. I think like one of the things that I um, you know, personally think about a lot is this whole notion of, you know, the rich always getting richer, right? We know that kind of, you know, money and privilege and all these things compound, right? And, and the capitalistic system is set up to do exactly that, right? And I don't necessarily have a better, like I'm not necessarily advocating to go all the way to the other side to socialism, but one of the things that as an entrepreneur also that sticks with me is that notion that 
we probably need a better version of capitalism here. This notion that we always need, need more and that the rich always get richer does not serve everyone. And I also say that with the same notion you mentioned privilege. I, I feel the exact same way, right? I, I feel that as a white male, um, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to be able to jump on our opportunity, which was WordPress at the time, which was all the way back in 2007, right? Many of those things were circumstance, right? They were opportunities that I got unfairly, right? So that notion of leaving space for others is something that really, really resonates. Um, and it's interesting, you know, to as, you, as you say that, because I think, and like, if you have more thoughts on that, like, because you spoke about like the notion of leaving space and then community as well. Like, it sounds like at least where you're at in your life right now, like those are important things. So perhaps here's the question, like, are there like actual things you're doing to optimize for that? It's a tricky thing to automate. There are efforts out there. Open office hours is one where, you know, you can sign up and kind of set availability uh, and, and they will pair you people who have questions. That's a good system. I think that the custom approach, the personal approach has more impact. It requires a whole lot more effort and it's probably not the smartest thing to do. But I like to, you know, if someone reaches out, I like to really understand them, where they're coming from, their history, who they are, what they you know, might be capable of, and then help them on a one-on-one -on -one basis there. And yeah, like I've been called an, an, an idiot for doing this. And I could probably be a multimillionaire right now if I didn't do all that. And if I was a bit more of an asshole, but that that's not who I want to be. That's not the example I want to set for my kids. I hear you. What impact has being a parent been on your professional journey, right? Because you obviously, like you mentioned uh, off air just before, and your eldest daughter is eight and a half right now, right? Um, so what impact, if any, has being a parent had on your kind of professional career, right? The way you think about work, the way you think about life. I always tell people, you know, the second your first kid is born, you realize that your life is worthless right now. It's all about them. Like they are now your full responsibility. Like they are your world, basically. So no coincidence that that coincided with the time where I realized that I was not a great team player. That was a couple of months after our first daughter was born. And I think that's kind of like a forcing thing when it comes to having more empathy towards others, towards the people around you. You realize like, oh, all of a sudden, like it's not, you know, work isn't everything. Work isn't your life. It's not, it should not be what defines you. It's the things outside the work that define you. And it's the things outside of work that give you the energy to do work. Another big thing that happens with kids, like at least in, in my case, is I learned to do more with less time because obviously you have less time available uh, in, in a day. It helped me focus on what was important and cut out a lot of the distractions. Like that's a thing, like I'm super proud of the way we, we've done abstract so far. I'm not a founding member, but I was there extremely early on and most of the founding team were parents and that meant that you know we came to the office we did the work and like we couldn't wait to go back home 
we love doing our work. We love being together, collaborating, working hard during the day. But by 6 p.m., the office was empty. And like no one came in before nine, I think. And uh, like later on, we kind of, you know, we scaled that culture of, you know, work is not life. Not just for, you know, people who are parents, but also people who had hobbies that they wanted to go do or other things. Certain people, we had no idea what they did outside their hours. We only realized that, you know, it was important to them. That was enough for us. So that kind of turned into this culture of trust. We trust that you do what needs to be done. And whether you do it in eight hours or you do it in four, that doesn't really matter. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I agree. So with Convergio, my, my team and I evolved our culture to the point where we spoke about it as, you know, as being a life and family first company. And the idea there was that we wanted to do fun, challenging, stimulating work. But we all agreed that the most meaningful experiences we can have is probably outside of work with people that are not our colleagues, right? So, and that's not to kind of downplay that the relationships that you build with colleagues, right? I think, especially if you've been part of a team for a longer time, there's very intimate relationships or not necessarily romantically intimate, but intimate relationships over time, right? You get to know people, you share their journeys and you have the shared interest of building this thing. But if you're a parent, if you're a spouse, if you have a partner, if you have a mom and dad, if you have close friends, like those people aren't necessarily in your business and or in your work or in your team. And I think one needs to optimize for those things, right? Those are most probably on average, the more meaningful things that one can pursue in life, not work. Yeah. I do have like a lot of my best friends are people that I worked with in the past in an office environment. You spent more hours awake with them than with your spouse, probably. So, you know, you, and it is like, you build a relationship with the people that you work with, just like the relationship you have uh, with your spouse. It's something that both of you need to work on, like you need to, you need to maintain it, but it's in the long term, like it, it's a great thing. The better you know each other, you know, the easier doing the work or being married will get, to put it bluntly, but yeah, family, in, in the weekends, like I don't, I don't open my, my laptop, for example, very simple. Like I don't even think about it. It's just like, I wrap up on Friday and then till Monday morning, I might occasionally check email, but even, even checking Slack or something just like, it doesn't feel right. And I don't want to set a bad example there either. Like I could in the middle of the weekend, think about something for work and post it on the Slack and then generate, you know, a whole range of pings across devices to my colleagues and then disturb their weekend. And then maybe like, they're also like, oh yeah, I also have something about work that, I, that was on my mind and like create this chain reaction. Just like, no, let's just cut it out, make a note, share it on Monday and nothing bad is going to happen. Yeah. I, I'm hopeful Tim that I think, you know, with where we're at in the world and just all the things that's happening is Hopefully this is also a tipping point for us as society to get out of that. I mean, we spoke about kind of capitalism that probably needs to kind of change, right? I think there's loads of things that need to change in terms of racial and gender-based equality, right? Those There's things that need to change here. There's things that need to change in terms of this kind of instant gratification that we have 
all supposedly agree to write this notion of Slack, for example, like I post a message now, I kind of expect a response. I expect that instant gratification from this thing, right? Whereas, and as you say, I think when we do many of these things, there is that chain reaction that we suddenly don't control, right? It's almost like, almost like well, maybe it's even like a, a butterfly effect of you know, some sorts, right? That we, we do something simple over here, which is just start this conversation, but sometimes what happens thereafter, like we don't have control over that anymore. But the thing that we did have control over was probably to be patient and wait until a Monday morning when it's more apt to start this conversation. It all comes back to setting the right example and trying to be, you know, a good human being. And it takes effort. It's easier to just shoot that message in Slack or post a negative opinion on, on Twitter. It doesn't help. Because I'm wondering about that setting an example, right? Like one of the things that I, that my wife and I try and do with our kids is, and again, they, my kids are eight and a half and six. And we try not be the parents that says, just do this thing because I say so, right? We try and give them the context and like, not necessarily reason with them, but we try and give them more information. But obviously like at that age, they neither have the vocabulary or the life experience to fully understand the true context of something. Like, why why should I act in this way in this situation, right? That is impossible. So, like, how do you think about that? How do you tackle that? Because I think, I mean, you've mentioned your kids before you, you mentioned that that translates into the things you do at work in those environments as well. But I'm sure that you, you probably take a similar approach or perspective, at least in terms of setting an example for them as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Luckily, my kids, especially the oldest one, they're at an age, you can almost talk with them as adults. I think the younger they are, the more creative you have to get with how you, how you try to explain things to them, explain the why to them. It's tricky. And I, I personally think my wife is, is a lot better at this than, than I am. Like I've learned so much from everything that, that she does. Like she's beyond a doubt, a better parent than I am. She's in the driver's seat and I'm just learning as much as I can and, and learning from her uh, example. But it is important and it does require a lot of energy. You have to do it over again and over and over uh, again, as you, as you know. But it's important. It's important not to shield them from the world either. Like there's this interesting balance between making sure they're not scared of the world out there, but also making sure that they're cautious things that happen. But once you start doing it, like it gets easier to kind of expect the why. I've been in situations where, you know, I got to the point I was just yelling uh, at them. Doesn't help. Like I could have been yelling at the brick wall next to me and gotten the same response uh, from it. I think I like that we as parents try to keep it realistic. We raised our kids to see no colors, for example. You know, everyone's equal. Doesn't matter what color skin you have, where you're from and all that. And then recently we decided to change that. And we said, well, not everyone's equal, sadly. If you have a darker skin, life is tougher on you. Like in the in a way, like we're not lucky, but like life is different for us because we have a light skin. And all of your friends with different skins, just remember that their lives are different. 
their lives are harder. They deal with things that you never even had to think about that never occurred to you that might be an issue uh, in life. And again, our oldest, like, she gets it. And it, it, I think it's, it's great as a parent to see that happen. Because at that point, like, you know, you've planted the right seed in them. And you know that later on in life, like, there's a big chance that they will make better decisions based on what you just taught them. Yeah, because it's more progressive and proactive, right? It's, I mean, I, I share the same sentiment and, and hope there that if one makes kids aware, same with people, but I mean, kids, they just don't have those old habits or prejudices that first needs to be broken down before you can kind of take on a, a new lens, you know, to life. With kids, like proactively exposing them to these things in a controlled environment probably gives them a better way of learning and evolving over time, right? Because you, you, we're hopefully giving our kids a better foundation and starting point, you know, in doing so. They're the future and they're a future that we create. It's easier to set them off for the rest of their lives than, you know, to educate your parents and grandparents or like re-educate your parents and grandparents. They grew up in a different time. Like, like you said, they grew up with these different beliefs, basically. And it's harder for them to, to change that. And I think I get it if you've lived with those truths for so long, if you, if you grew up with them, it's harder to kind of get rid of them. So I believe that every big change in the world takes at least a generation, if you're lucky. That's one generation of a lot of hard work. Sadly, you, you don't control things around you but you do control what happens under your own roof. Yeah. So I want to finish off in kind of this, this last segment. And what does the next five, 10 years look like for Tim? Like what are those things that are top of mind for you? Things, goals, desires, wants, needs, things that interest you. What, what can we expect to come from Tim in the future? I'll keep doing the work. <laughs> I'll keep mentoring people, trying to have an effect like that. Like, I don't think I would be a great manager but um, I'm confident with the work that I do and confident in the, the mentoring that I do. So that will continue. I want to do something by myself. Like I want to build a product by myself, hopefully one day. So with some luck, I'll have some time at some point to learn how to properly write code and, and do something. I also realize there's a lot that you, can, that you cannot predict. So more than anything, like I'm, I'm ready to be flexible when things happen. And then with the family, financial stability for my kids and grandkids and as long as I can, and yeah, providing them with an environment that they can grow as human beings. They can trust their parents and they know that, you know, we're always there to, to talk about things. Yeah, I love that, by the way. I love that notion of creating that kind of environment for kids because the way I often think about this and, you know, again, and something I realized with whilst building Conversia with my team was we had these, some of these ambitions, bigger ambitions to try and create some change, at least in our kind of broader circles. We worked in the greater e-commerce space and tried to create this environment that was kinder and some change there. And, and unfortunately we never managed to do that. And at one stage that got me down. And I realized that if I just draw it back closer to home, literally. What can I do within my family? What can I do within my team? You essentially then have these 
rippling effects outwards. Like if, if, if I can help facilitate and create an environment for my team to do their best work and then be able to go home to their families, that probably means that they're being better parents, spouses, friends, relatives there. And hopefully they take that space that they have there and that ripples outwards. So I like that idea of creating environments. Awesome, Tim. Before I let you go, if anyone here wanted to kind of you know, follow along, learn more about you, what is the best place to do so these days? Still Twitter or any other network. Like I have the username Max Voltar on most social networks I'm, I'm active on. So reach out. I'm there. Yeah. I think everyone has heard you're responsive and you've made a commitment to continue to be responsive. So awesome stuff for that. I will obviously link that up in the show notes, all the primary social channels. Um, and as Tim said, that's Max Walter. Tim, thanks so much for being vulnerable and just familiar in this conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for your time. Thanks for keeping it real. Cheers. That's it for me for today's episode. If anything in today's conversation really resonated with you, please do send me an email on ad at lifeprofitability.com. That's A-D-I-I at lifeprofitability.com. You can also leave a review on iTunes, which helps me to improve the show and perhaps also helps me to reach someone else that needs to hear this or might find this helpful. I'll be back here with another great guest next week. Cheers. Cheers.